and start your engines. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I'm not a crook. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan. for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right. Uh, so Randy and I have become good friends. Uh, Randy Williams is here. And and he, he we either talk every day or he texts me every day. And he knows about my bicycle accident, which is super embarrassing. But, uh, you know, a black belt doesn't, you know, you don't not show up for your show. So even though I'm in excruciating pain, uh, I am here to do the show. And I'm just uh, faking that I'm not in pain. Uh, Randy Williams, good to have you with us, sir. Hey, happy Halloween or Samhain or Sawin or however you pronounce that. Yeah, I don't know if you heard my opening, but uh, in the first time in 10 years, some little kids came to my door for candy and I didn't have anything because nobody have any. Nobody ever comes here. Uh, so I didn't have anything. And then one of the kids started crying when he left with his mom. I felt so terrible. Oh. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm waiting to get, I'm probably gonna get egg tonight in any case, but Hey, we've got a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We got a lot to talk about the Alec Baldwin shooting. And also we want to go back in time and talk about the death of Brandon Lee, the son of Bruce Lee. But I wanted to start by asking you about this, uh, Brian laundry, uh, case. We haven't talked about that since they found the remains of Brian laundry. Just uh, wanted to ask you, were you surprised? that it ended that way that he ended up taking his own life it looks like and that's how it ended and that's why we couldn't find him because he was dead i was a little surprised i i you know it didn't seem in character for him the type of person that i understood him to be for him to kill himself um if he in fact did i don't think that's for sure yet you know and i'm gonna go out on a limb and and you know just as a conspiracy theorist i'll say what if uh the parents killed him because they, they did find him. I mean, they, they seemed to dr- take the police right to him. <laughs> well, that was funny. Was, that that was odd, wasn't it? That they found mm-hmm. the, the parents found yeah. him. Yeah. So I'm almost thinking like maybe he had a run in with the parents. He told them what he did and the dad maybe shot him. Yeah, uh, who knows? I mean, because of the way they're behaving, nothing would surprise me in this case. So I'm going to stick my neck out and say my money's on the dad. Or mom shot him after he admitted to them what he had done. Yeah, that's why they behave so strangely. My parents told me many times growing up they were going to kill me. But I think if I had done something like this, they probably actually would have. So you may have a point. there. Well, so, you know, I just thought it was that's still such a strange twist in the case that of all people to lead the police to him. Now, I understand that they told the police in the first place to look there, but it's just weird that they went there and found this whatever notebook and then found then the cops find his remains right there. You know, it's a little weird. So I'm going to wait. I'm going to reserve judgment. I'm not going to call it a suicide just yet uh, until we figure out the exact cause of death, because I think that's still undetermined. I think they, um, you know, found the skull and, you know, I don't know, maybe a finger or something. Animals might have run off with some of it or alligators might have eaten some of them. But in any case, I don't think they're, they're sure yet exactly what killed them. So until they pronounce it definitely a suicide, I'm going with. The parents shot him. 
author of Sherlock Holmes and the Autumn of Terror, the guy who solved the Jack the Ripper case. Randy Williams is here. And uh, you're you're right. We, we don't really know what happened. And there's just so many unusual twists and turns in that case. OK, so let's talk about Alec Baldwin. And um, I know you're a gun guy. I'm an NRA instructor. You're a, a uh, you know, you're a, a, a licensed private investigator. You also work in law enforcement. So both of us are around guns a lot. I was always under yeah, I work the, in a prison and we have to qualify with weapons every every year. OK, fantastic. I was always under the impression, Randy, that on a movie set, there were not real guns, that these were guns that were props. Mm-hmm. W- what did I miss on that? Well, there it depends. I, th- I think in this case, there was a mix of of fake guns and real guns. Um, I think that for, for realism, I, I'm going to, uh, you know, like I'm not positive, but I'm going to say that I, I, I think that maybe on something like a John Wick, that there are real guns for, for the sake of reality. And you've got a guy in Keanu Reeves that's an expert with weapons. And I think they had some of the probably the best armorers in the business on that shoot. And I don't know anything about that shoot. I'm just kind of guessing here. But I know that, you know, real weapons have been on the set for many years. And I think they're phasing that out. And I think I think I heard something about North Carolina, uh, sorry, New Mexico is absolutely phasing it out from now on. No, no real weapons on set. But I think there's there's been always a mix of real and, and fake weapons. There really isn't any super good reason for there to be real weapons on the set with all the special effects they can do now. I mean, they can make dragons chase people down the street. I'm pretty sure they can make a fake weapon look real, um, you know, and have it fire and everything else with, you know, sound and, and lighting and everything to make it seem real. But no, um, I think that there are real weapons on set at times. And that's why they hire these guys called armorers who are professional movie set gun handlers. And they are, you know, absolutely in charge of everything to do with weaponry on the set. And, And it's, you know, in some of these low-budget films like this one and like um, The Crow, where Brandon was shot, I think that um, sometimes they'll use a guy who kind of has to wear many hats and be the armorer and be something else, the stunt coordinator in the case of Jeffy Mata um, on The Crow. Or in this case, this um, was Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, I think is her name. Her dad was a, a really famous uh, movie armorer. And she kind of was born into the business. But I think she was kind of a low-budget version because, I mean, they probably could have got her dad if he's still alive or or somebody else a little bit more qualified. So the armorers are supposed to really keep all that in check. And I think they're the ones that probably um, help make the decision about there being real guns on the set or not and how they're controlled. Now, tell me about this idea of a blank because I've never fired a blank Everything I've ever fired has the projectile. Mm-hmm. What is a blank and well, does it look different than an actual round? You know, I'm glad you asked me that because, you know, I've been hearing a lot of I'm not going to call it fake outrage, but I've been hearing a lot of outrage and seeing it on, you know, sort of on Facebook and some of these news sites where people are saying, well, it was his, I'm a, a responsible gun owner and I know the first thing I'm going to do is check a weapon and. I'm going to check that thing and make sure that it's, uh, you know, it's got blanks in it if I'm on a movie set and so on. And and I agree that's that's true to a certain extent, and I'm sure they believe it. But now that you ask me, what does a blank look like? I'm pretty sure most people don't know what one looks like. 
And I'm pretty sure most of the people that are squawking about how they would check the gun um, might not be able to tell a blank from what they call a dum-dum bullet. Because a blank, you know, in most cases, the ones I've seen anyway, they kind of have this weird head on them that looks sort of split and twisted, a little bit like what we would call a dum-dum bullet. A dum-dum bullet is the kind of bullet that, you know, sometimes people cut across in it to make it separate on, on contact and spread. So if you looked, you know, maybe if you Google um, the image for those things, you might be able to see that, uh, a dum-dum bullet. Or they also have another kind of bullet that's called um, a wad cutter. And wad cutter bullets uh, look a little bit, a lot like a blank. And some of your listeners may not even know what that is. And a lot of them go, oh, yeah, I know what that is. A wad cutter is basically it looks like the same shell that you would put in your gun. But instead of a bullet head protruding, there's just like a flat lead top on it. It, it doesn't even protrude from the shell. It's kind of embedded in the shell. And you would just see like a, a lead disc instead of a bullet head. And that's for target practice. So that punches a nice neat hole in the paper. It'll still kill somebody. And I wouldn't be surprised, because I don't know, but in this case, in the Baldwin case, the bullet may well have been a wad cutter, because I understand that some crew members were maybe what they call plinking or practicing, target practicing, you know, shooting cans in the desert there in between um, days of shooting. They might have, you know, there's some rumors that they all were having drinks and shooting cans out behind the set using the prop guns which were, in fact, a couple of them were real guns, and somehow uh, a bullet got mixed in with the blanks. So I'm, I'm sorry for going on like this. No, but no, what good, I'm, good what information. I'm trying to get at is that, well, well, what, I'm, what I'm getting at is that there's a lot of people that are saying, you know, as a gun owner and a responsible gun owner, I know the very first thing that I would do is check this weapon and make sure. So, okay, and I get that. So I kind of have a point. And a counterpoint I'd like to make, you know, for Alex, and I don't know if you want to say it's against Alex, but, you know, in most cases, the armorer, well, in all cases, the armorer is completely responsible for the weapons on set. So if an armorer who you as the actor should have a personal relationship with, if that armorer hands you a weapon and says, this is cold, meaning it's safe, meaning it's, it's blanks, it's safe to shoot at someone, um, Morally and ethically, your responsibility might be different than legally. Let me see what, if I can make that clear. So legally, that armor is completely responsible for handing you that gun and saying, yes, it's cold. Yes, it's safe. You as the actor have no responsibility to, to check that or to know that it's, that it's cold because you've been told by the armor, the guy or the gal in this case. So legally... I don't think he has any responsibility as the actor. Now, morally and ethically, that could be different because like a lot of people with this outrage are saying, and I would have checked it, I would have checked it. Well, first of all, would you know the difference between a blank and a, and a wad cutter or a dum-dum? I don't think a lot of people would, but maybe they would. But in any case, um, morally and ethically, if you were to, say, put Alec uh, on a lie detector where he had to tell the truth, and you said, Alec, if... If this scene would have called for you to put the gun to your own head and fire it, would you have taken any more precaution to be sure that it was safe? And I'm pretty sure anybody in their right mind would say, well, yeah, if I had to put it up to my own head and pull the trigger, I'd make 
sure that I'd call the armorer over and have him open it in front of me and show me everything and 10 times, you know, and fire it a couple times at himself before I would do it to myself. At least that would be my opinion. I'm not, I can't speak for Alec. Yeah, for sure. But if Alec were to say something like that, then yes, morally and ethically, he's responsible. Because if you could shoot that at someone else and not have the same care that you would take pointing it at yourself, there may be some moral or ethical responsibility. Legally, I'm not so sure. So that's my point and my counterpoint on that. Now, as a producer, if you still had him, you know, wired up to that lie detector and you said, okay, Alec, now you're in the producer's shoes. If you, Alec Baldwin, had been killed by that bullet by mistake, in, in, if the reverse were true and someone was firing it at you and you got killed, would your family seek some sort of retribution, some kind of compensation, some sort of legal action against the producers of that film? And if your answer is yes, then, yeah, you're responsible as the producer. Uh, again, that's a moral and ethical question. And it may be a legal question, too, because certainly someone's responsibility and everybody on that set is pointing the fingers at everybody else saying it's his fault, it's their fault, it's her fault. But somebody ultimately has to be held responsible. In my book, it's the armorer. It's it's that Hannah Gutierrez Reed. And it's it's probably, to a certain extent, Alec Baldwin as a producer, not as the actor who fired the bullet, but as one of the producers, because I understand there were some complaints about safety on that set. There had been some some problems with her on that set. And in fact, in the prior movie, which was she was working on some Nicolas Cage movie called The Old Way. And there were some complaints against her then. And that was her very first time to be an armorer where she supposedly handed a gun to an 11 year old actress without checking it first. And then they were saying she was and, and this is hearsay. She was waving guns around and loading them in an unsafe manner. You know, she supposedly was carrying them under her arms, pointing backwards where they were pointing at people as she was walking around. And then there were supposedly two accidental discharges on the rust set. So she's got a little bit of a history there. And the producers, you know, they say in the law, no, knew or should have known. So you can't, you know, ignorance isn't a defense. You can't say, well, I didn't know. Even if you didn't, you should have. So there's some issues there. Now, back to the issue of the blank, I want to explore this a little bit more with you. So is it my understanding then if I put a blank into my firearm and then I discharge the firearm, it makes the bang sound, but nothing comes out? Is is that what we're talking about? A blank being? Well, nothing comes out. I wouldn't say nothing comes out. I'd say that even with a blank in the gun, there are you know cases where the, the powder or some some form of uh, you know some matter will come out of the gun, and it, depending on the blank, you know what exactly comes out of the gun, it could be harmful. Um, it's certainly the powder because think of a blank as basically, and and this will come into play in, in Brandon's case. Think of a blank as a bullet with the powder but without the head. Okay. So when you fire that thing, you know you fired guns. You know how sometimes. Um, when you're firing a gun, once in a while you'll get a bad round or something, and yeah. flames might. In the case yep. of a revolver, like this was a revolver, sometimes some some flames or some some uh, heat will will emit from around the the revolver, um, and and so just the explosion in itself could be damaging. I mean, there could be some bit of powder, you know, like a powder burn could occur, or or maybe if there was some debris. 
in the barrel of the gun that would get shot out of the barrel along with that powder. So a blank is supposedly not harmful, but even in the case of blanks, the actors on set aren't supposed to point the gun directly at the subject. They're supposed to point a couple feet to one side because the camera can't tell, you know, if, in, in, in the case of Brandon, they, they weren't supposed to point it at him, even though it was supposed to be a blank. And because you, you still could get some harmful effect from the powder and whatever debris might come out of the end of that gun. So even in the case of a blank, you're not to point, supposed to point it directly at the person in, in, on the other end. It, and no one in the, in the camera range can tell that you're not aiming it at them. And one other so, thing, uh, too, is it, it, it sounded like from one of the, the accounts I read that Alec Baldwin was actually practicing like a technique inside of this church that I guess is part of the, you know, part of the set. Um, instead, you know, I mean, I don't know, just thinking myself, if I were just practicing, I would probably be somewhere I could practice what, you know, not around other people just to be extra careful. Um, you know, that, that, that to me is just another kind of factor here, which is why would you need to practice like that? You're drawing and firing with all these other people around. Well, that's, you know, I, I don't really know. I don't think all the facts are completely out yet. I understand that the scene wasn't filmed because it was practice. So, but I think that the scene, if I understand right, called for him to point it at the camera. Now, you shouldn't point it right at the camera. You, like I said, you can point it one foot to one side or two feet, and no one could ever tell the difference. But I think that what he was practicing was probably aiming at the camera to get this effect, you know, on screen of him shooting at you if you're the viewer. Right. I think that's what what they were trying to capture. So he was doing that. He was I think practicing that I, I could be wrong, but I think maybe that's why he was doing it indoors and, you know, where and aiming it. And there's this debate I've had with other people about whether he was aiming it or pointing it, um, you know, aiming specifically aiming at someone with the intent of hitting them versus pointing it at them. Obviously he was pointing at her or wouldn't have shot her unless it was a ricochet. So he was pointing it at her. And I think probably because he was thinking, well, when we shoot this thing, you know, I have to point it at the camera or or one foot to the left of the camera. And maybe he did. And maybe she was one foot to the left of the yeah. camera because she wasn't filming. I don't know. We still don't I, I know. can't say that for sure. Well, the one thing, too. No, but I mean, go ahead. Well, you know, people are saying it's negligence and, and, it, and it could be if if he wasn't pointing it off to one side, if he pointed it directly at her. You know, we're all negligent every day in some ways and, and we're quick to judge other people. I think for the same things we sometimes do ourselves, like for example, you know, driving, you know how you'll scream at somebody, ah, oh, you idiot or whatever you, you say, uh, based on them doing something that, you know, full well, you yourself have done a hundred times too. And, but yet we're very judgmental when we're not the person making that mistake on the road. And not to say that they're not an idiot for doing it, but so are you. Cause you've done it too. So, it's and I and believe me, I'm no, uh, I'm not trying to defend Alec here or or condemn him, but I think it's easy to say, well, I would have checked that, and I think, you know, and I heard he himself was very uh, vindictive or, or judgmental when it came to like Vice President Cheney when he accidentally shot his hunting partner. Yeah, I think Alec Baldwin was ridiculing him and saying, yes, he was. And, and in another case with, with police, I think he tweeted something about, you know, I wonder how it feels to wrongfully kill someone. Yeah. So, I mean, people could say that's karma 
and maybe it is. Um, I'm not. I'm not trying to lay blame on him. If, if anything, like, like I said, I'm in the camp of he's not to blame as the actor. He may be to blame as the producer. Well, the one the one lesson from this before we get into the Brandon Lee story, the one lesson from this that I go over over and over and over again in my basic firearms class that I teach for the NRA is that you're right. We all make mistakes every day. We spill coffee on ourselves. I just uh, slammed my fingers into my sliding glass door because I was letting my dogs out. Fell off your bar stool and broke your arm. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I, I, yeah, I uh, just rode, rode my bike into uh, the Starbucks uh, seating area and uh, just oh, uh, killed myself. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but when it comes to guns, I always tell people this, you don't get one free mistake, you know, and that's why, you know, clearing the chamber and making sure uh, that the action is left open and all the rules we have when you're on a shooting range, they must be followed every time, not most of the time, not 99% of the time, but every single time, because you don't get that one yeah. mistake because that one mistake right. could and kill your, your wife, uh, could kill your daughter, you could kill yourself. Mm -hmm. And in this case, we don't know what happened with Alec Baldwin. This isn't about directed at that. It's just it, to say to folks, and I'm with you. be so careful, be so careful. You can't be too careful if you're handling firearms. Right. And I'm with you on that. The, the only thing I would say to that is that we're gun guys and we know that. He's not responsible to be a gun guy, right? Regardless, different He's situation. Yeah, and that this this expert hands him this gun and says, "Here, you're good. You know, this is fine. You're safe." So. You know, he's not a gun guy. I think he's an anti-gun guy, if I'm not mistaken. Although <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Pretending to be a gun guy. Yeah. Um, and so you know, he he wants to look cool and fire his gun and be the hero on, on screen. But off screen, he supposedly hates guns, although I would venture to say probably has an armed bodyguard, <laughs> especially now. Yeah. Um, but that's a whole other political discussion, and I'm not really qualified to, to weigh in on that. But I, I, I just think that when it comes to this particular thing, I get all the outrage and I get all the people saying I'm a gun guy and we know that, the, but Alec, I don't believe is responsible to know Jack about guns just because he's on the set of a movie and he's pronounced himself to be an anti-gun guy. You would expect as the armor. Okay. I'm dealing with an anti-gun guy. I'm dealing with a guy who knows nothing about guns. So that just puts more weight on the shoulders of the armor who's supposed to be a gun guy or a gun gal so, like, if I'm the armor, you know, I know something about guns, not enough to be an armor, although I do arm, you know, uh, correction officers at the prison where I work. Occasionally, I have to arm them, and I have to count the number of bullets they get, the number of magazines they get, the shotguns they get, how many shells they get, and and further, you know, the, their bulletproof vests that they wear. And I'm responsible for that. So, in a sense, I'm an armorer, I guess, once in a while. Yeah. And, and. If my charge of the person I was working for as the armorer was a pronounced gun anti-gun guy who I know hates guns and goes on TV talking against them, then I would just feel that much more responsible for making sure this guy doesn't blow it. So as the as the armorer, I think that Hannah Gutierrez Reed should have even taken more care than if she was working with, say, Keanu Reeves, who probably could have done the job better than she did, you know. But she's not working with Keanu Reeves. She's working with Alec Baldwin, who hates guns. So I just, I see, you know, and I hate to, I'm not trying to defend him 
other than what I just think is yeah, right. Just giving the other and, side and, of it because, just. yeah, because, uh, and we still don't know all the facts yet. In our remaining minutes, I want to talk about the Brandon Lee uh, case. So this was in 1993. They were filming a scene in a movie called The Crow, and there was a 44 Magnum revolver and it was um, it was a real revolver. They call it a prop, but it was a real revolver from what I understand. And it was uh, mm-hmm. improperly. It was it was uh, there were dummy rounds that were improperly manufactured. So so the actual dummy rounds were 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 in there like they were supposed to, but they were they were not properly made so they were like improvised cartridges from live rounds to turn them into dummy rounds and so this is what caused the death of brandon lee and i know that you not only studied with uh, a direct student of bruce lee you've also worked with uh, the family of bruce lee um did you ever meet brandon oh lee? yeah I knew, yeah oh yeah I, i've known brandon since 1976 when he was like i don't know eight or nine years old he was just a kid when wow. i met him Wow. I took him to his first baseball game, the uh, L.A. Dodgers versus the Atlanta Braves. Wow. In, back in uh, 1976. So I've known Brandon. And so I have a little bit of a unique perspective on that one. Um, his death was caused by, as you said, uh, these dummy rounds. What happened was when the armorer, who is a, a good friend of mine, was Brandon's best friend. And he's also a, a dear friend of mine. His name is Jeffy Mata. He's actually been, he was in some of my instructional martial art videos I, I did in the 90s. And Jeffy Mata was was basically Brandon's best friend, but he was the armorer on the film The Crow. And he was a guy that was forced to be stunt coordinator and armorer and wasn't really an expert in weaponry. And what happened was there was a scene where they had, you know, as you know, no live ammo is supposed to be allowed on scene at a, at a movie scene. But what happened was they had a, film a scene where the bullets were being loaded into the gun. So he had these bullets that were basically a bullet with the head knocked off, taken off, dumped out, and then the head put back on. So you've got this empty bullet. So he loaded those, or, you know, the actor, Michael Massey, is filmed loading this gun close up, loading the bullets into the gun. So then the the first mistake, and it was a series of tragic mistakes and, and weird happenings that caused Brandon's death. But the first of the weird happenings, or, or one of them, was that when Jeff unloaded those cartridges, he didn't notice that one of the heads fell off and remained crooked, lodged in the chamber. So he had basically all of them out of the gun, but one of them, the head, was still inside the chamber. Then when he reloaded with blanks, which is in essence the, the, the shell with powder with no head. Well, once you put that in behind that lodged bullet, you in essence have a live round in that one particular chamber of the, of the revolver. So that was number one, you know, weird and, and unfortunate occurrence. But there were a, a bunch of others that led to it. Secondly, Jeff was asked by Brandon, hey, you know, I don't really want to wear my bulletproof vest on this. I'm in good shape. I don't want to look fat. How about I don't wear it? Well, I think you should wear it. Well, please, come on, man. We're buddies. Let me not wear it. So he says, well, okay, don't wear it then. That was problem number two. Had he worn it, he would have lived. Hmm. The next problem was that when they shot the scene, 
as I understand it, they had three or four good takes already in the can and the director was happy. But Brandon himself said, let's do another one. And the director was like, no, we're good. No, let's do one more. I'm not happy with it. So they shot it that final time in which the, the real cartridge was expended. It was kind of like a game of Russian roulette. And he won, you know, four out of six times or four out of five times. And then that final one was the one that shot him. Now, the next weird occurrence was that Michael Massey, the actor, should have aimed a foot over to the right or left, but instead aimed at Brandon. You know, it was a scene where Brandon had a grocery bag coming home from buying groceries, I guess, and then he gets shot by the crook in his house. So Massey should have aimed to one side or the other because the camera can't tell the difference. But for whatever reason, he aimed directly at Brandon and shot him. Hmm. And and the, I don't know if it's the final, but another link in this weird chain was that it happened to be April Fool's. Wow. It was the last day. It was Yeah, it was the last day of March, first day of April coming on. And Brandon, according to everything people told me, had been playing April Fool's jokes all day on everybody. Hmm. So when he got shot, he went down and said, oh, I'm shot, I'm shot. And everybody said, yeah, right, Brandon, sure, yeah, funny. And they all left because it was lunchtime and left him there bleeding. Wow. And until I think the the catering girl found him and said, I don't think he's faking. And then they called the ambulance. But by then he bled out and it was too late. Hmm. But had it not been April Fool's and had he not been playing all these jokes, they probably would have taken him seriously and possibly could have saved his life. I don't know. But there was all these tragic events that worked together against Brandon. And um, unfortunately, you know, it, it, it all added up to his death, his untimely death. Now I heard, uh, I heard, I think it was today or yesterday that Alec Baldwin said, well, this was a one in a trillion um, mistake or one in a trillion event, me shooting this female. And, and I think um, it's not one in a trillion. I think if you took the number of movies that have been made since Brandon died and maybe it's 10,000, maybe it's 15,000, maybe it's 20,000. But ha I think it's one in 20,000. It's not one in a trillion, that's for sure. And were there any, like, um, right after the death of Brandon Lee, did that put into motion any reforms? And if so, are any of those reforms actually being followed today? Could could they have well, prevented I, this? I think, I think yes. I think, I think. Definitely, um, some reforms were put into place. I'm not a movie guy, so I don't know what exactly was put in place. I know that, for example, New Mexico is saying no more weapons on set in our state, but real weapons. But obviously, they weren't all being followed to the letter, or this wouldn't have happened. That's why I say it's not a one in a trillion. It's a one in 15,000 or however many films have been made since with weapons. But it's certainly not one in a trillion. And um, I think that now there's going to be a lot of outcry for reform. I think you may have seen the end forever of all real live weapons being allowed on set. Um, and hopefully it won't ever happen again. Uh, it, unfortunately, it took this. It should have ended with Brandon. It should have ended before Brandon, actually. But, but with, with Brandon Lee's death, that should have ended forever. Anyone ever being killed on the set of a movie. Very interesting. Way, really weird because when, go ahead. Well, it was really weird that you know Brandon's dad, obviously Bruce Lee, um, he he died in the production of of his last film called Game of Death, of all things. Mm. And in Game of Death, when they 
decided to finish it without him. They had to change everything because they didn't have him there to film it. So they changed the story with, with the Bruce Lee character getting shot on the scene of a movie set. And then Brandon gets killed on the scene of a movie set. So it was a very strange thing, too. Very interesting segment. Take a minute and tell us about your fantastic book. I know some people may still not know about it. Sherlock Holmes and the Autumn of Terror and the Jack the Ripper case. Tell us about that book and how people can get a copy. Well, you can get it on Amazon. Um, it has its own Facebook page, Minds and MeWe pages, too. Um, basically, what it is is that I solved the Jack the Ripper murders of 1888 back in 2012 and finally got a chance to present my case to Dr. Michael Bodden, who's my co-author, one of my co-authors. And once I presented him my evidence, he happened to be an expert on the case. He was paid by Scotland Yard way back in the 60s to solve the Ripper murders, but wasn't able to do it back then, but still was an expert on the case. So when I met him on another case and was able to present him my evidence on the Ripper case, and after he checked all my evidence and counterchecked it, he decided that he was in agreement that I had solved it. So he called in Dr. Henry C. Lee, who your listeners probably know from Trace Evidence TV show or the O.J. Simpson case and hundreds, well, actually thousands of other cases, Elizabeth Smart and many others. And Dr. Cyril Wecht, who your listeners will know from John Benet Ramsey case, Klaus von Bulow, even, you know, President John F. Kennedy's shooting. And he called his two friends in and together the four of us wrote a book and we decided to present it to the reader as a Sherlock Holmes novel rather than a dry true crime account of the Ripper case, which thousands of books have been written on. Uh, and we, what we decided to do was present it to the reader with Sherlock Holmes doing basically what I did and Dr. Watson doing basically what they did to support me in the case. But we tried to do it in an entertaining, dramatic fashion. And, um, you know, it's doing pretty well. It's, it's still pretty high up in the ratings and Amazon's got, like 300 plus five star rating. So I, you know, it's being received well and I'm hoping someday to have, make that into a movie and or TV series. And who would play you in the movie? Well, I'm not it. I wouldn't be in it. No, I know. Perfect I, but, world, but, though, but, Sherlock Holmes. What actor would you want to play you? Have you thought, you know, in have a you thought about world, it? My Sherlock Holmes would, would, would be Jason Statham. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. A tough Sherlock because my Holmes. Sherlock Holmes has some, my, my Sherlock Holmes in this book has a couple of fight scenes. Yeah. And I just think Jason Statham would be the guy. Yeah, to play him. absolutely. Very good. Randy Williams, thanks so much for joining us, sir. The book is Sherlock Holmes in the Autumn of Terror and a fascinating segment on the Alec Baldwin shooting and the death of Brandon Lee. God bless. And we'll talk to you soon. Happy Halloween. Happy yes. Halloween. <laughs> yes. Sam Hain, whatever. Thank you very much. We'll talk Bye -bye. to you soon, guy. All right. Oh, wow. That was just fascinating, right? There's so much more to this than just like, oh, the bullets are blanks. I mean, there's so much more to this. So complicated. But I think that we're going to see reform because of all this. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris Live. So long, everybody.